I come before you this evening, and I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to preach your word. I know, Father, Lord, I'll never be worthy of an honor like that. I just pray you'd help me to teach it clearly, Father, to make sense, Lord, to speak truly and to speak in a way that will help others live lives and help myself live a life that matches more closely what you, how you'd have us to live. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you had a good Christmas? I had a very wonderful Christmas. I think Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. And I, how many of you, Christmas is one of your favorite times of the year? I think that would apply across the board for many of us here, and even some of you that are not raising your hands. I have a sneaking suspicion that you really like the Christmas season, whether you raised your hand or not. But in celebrating Christmas, becomes a question, what is the true significance of Christmas? What is, what, is, what is it about Christmas that is really important? What is it, when we, when we think of the Christmas season, what, is the, what should be the center, what should we see the center of our attention? What is it about Christmas that is so special? And it's really loud coming back, like the monitor. Oh, fine? Okay. Anyways, is it the giving of presents, Christmas presents? I mean, sometimes if, if you were to listen or watch TV, you would think that the giving of the greatest, the biggest, the most grandiose, extravagant, unique, which is weird when they have a mass-marketed commercial, present that you possibly can is what Christmas is all about. And we would say, you know, that's materialistic and that is, that is just commercialized and that is just awful. And maybe Christmas is about having a family holiday or Christmas is about keeping Jesus at the center of our celebration. And that's true. Christmas is about remembering the lowliness of the Savior's birth, about remembering the wonder of Christ coming into the world. But if when we think of Christmas, all that we think about is the Christmas holiday itself, we're going to miss the larger significance that Christmas ought to have in the life of the Christian. You see, to really understand the significance of Christmas, we can't start in Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 with the Christmas story itself. No, to understand the significance and the importance that the Christmas story has to Christianity and therefore to the lives of each and every believer in Jesus Christ, we need to start much earlier. We need to start in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And we'll be going to a lot of different scripture today, so don't feel like you have to turn to every one. And this is going to be somewhat of a different kind of message than I would usually preach, but I think it's what the Lord has laid on my heart. And, in, and I believe it's what the Lord would have for us tonight. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 it says, And God saw... Everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You see, that is where we started. We started with the good world that God created. 
Genesis chapter 2 and actually Genesis chapter 3 tells us by implication that man was in continual and daily direct communication with God. How that God came to walk. The voice of the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the evening and spoke with man. God created a world. And when God looked at the world, everywhere he looked, it was very good. If that was the end of the story, there'd be no need for Christmas. But it's not. Genesis chapter 3 goes on to tell the story of the fall of mankind. How that God had placed a man who had no... God had placed man in a good garden had given him one rule to keep, had given him the ability to choose between good and evil, and mankind had chosen, freely chosen, to rebel against the good God that had made him and the good universe that he had created. When mankind rebelled against God, the entire creation was placed under the curse Sin doesn't just affect humanity. The book of Romans makes it very clear that all of creation is groaning because of the accumulated effects of the sin of mankind. That the universe that God once looked at and saw as very good has been corrupted, has been closed off from communication with the good God that made it. And yet... While the universe was closed off from God, while our world was closed off from the goodness that God had intended for it, God did not leave us without a hope that one day something, someone would break the barrier that man's sin had erected between mankind and the God that created him. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is the first promise of the hope that was to come. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Somewhat difficult to see that. I don't think that Adam and Eve, they, they knew the promise, but they, they couldn't have known the full significance of what would take place when that promise was fulfilled. And yet God gave them a promise that the serpent would one day be destroyed by the seed of the woman. That one day a deliverer would come that would set the world free from the bondage that sin had brought. That would open again a channel of communication between heaven and the earth that was now separated from its God. Eve thought that Cain was the promised seed. When Cain was born, she said, I have gotten the man from the Lord. The, deliver- the promised one has come. Cain was not the promised one. The story doesn't end there. Mankind corrupted themselves and continued to corrupt themselves and continued to corrupt themselves and their earth until God had to wash it clean. But the waters of the flood did not open the communication between man and God. 
even after the face of the earth had been washed clean by a great flood, the barrier between man and God remained in full force. Mankind were still born sinners. They were still born separated from God and with no ability to break through that barrier of separation. God sent a rainbow. But, Moses, but Noah was not the promised one. The ark was a picture, but the ark was not the reality. It goes on and the story tells how mankind continued to corrupt themselves until God chose a man through whom he would create a people, through whom he would fulfill his promise in the Garden of Eden. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. God promised to Abraham, Through you is going to come the one through whom the promise will be fulfilled, through whom the barrier will be broken. The story didn't end with Abraham. Isaac was not the promised one. He was Abraham's promised son. But God's story wasn't done yet. Isaac was just another signpost. Moses was God's deliverer for his chosen people. And if you look at the story of Moses and the wanderings of the children of Israel, you'll see picture after picture signpost after signpost, the striking of the rock, the speaking to the rock that Moses ought to have done and messed up, the serpent that was lifted up, the law that showed man just how broken and flawed they truly were, and above all, the sacrificial system of year after year rolling back God's judgment, pointing to the future, pointing to the promised one who had not yet come. But it didn't end with Moses. The prophets, all of them, spoke of the coming of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24 and verse 27 says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, this is Jesus speaking to the two on the road to Emmaus, He expounded unto them all this, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, the things concerning Christ aren't just in a few isolated passages here and there. No, Jesus expounded to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus in all of the scriptures the things that concerned himself. Acts chapter 3 and verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Every prophet, that is so clear, every prophet that had spoken from the days of Samuel until the days of Peter the Apostle had foretold of the coming of Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. All of the Old Testament is either direct prophecy concerning Christ, preparation for Christ, or a signpost to Christ. 
It all speaks about him. It all points towards him. And yet, it was pointing to a person who had not yet come. It was pointing to an event that had not yet occurred. Yes, there are appearances of Christ and we can see perhaps the angel of the Lord, but that is something very different from what happened at the Incarnation. God did appear to man. God gave revelation to man. But it was always from outside the fallen system of humanity. It was always pointing towards a future hope that was not yet a present reality. It was faith in something that they could not yet see. Searching for a city, the foundation stone of which had not yet been laid. And then... One day, the angel Gabriel came to a young lady named Mary and told her that the one who for 2,000 years and more, 3,000 years, 4,000 years, we don't know an exact chronology of the Old Testament, so we do not know exactly how long, but at least 4,000 years had been prophesied, had been foretold, had been foreshadowed, had been pictured, had been typified, was about to arrive. The eternal God, who at the very outset of human history had been separated from His creation, was about to come in was about to enter through the barrier of our sin, to enter through the barrier of our fallenness. He came, and he was born in a stable. Tradition says that the stable would have been a cave. It, it matches with what the scripture says. I, wouldn't, I, I would think that it's very early in old tradition. It's quite probable. But it really doesn't matter. Because what the Bible says is that he came and he was born in the lowliest of circumstances. He was born in an atmosphere of suspicion, accusation, slander. Jesus would not have been, you know, the, the kid that everyone wanted to hang out with. Joseph and Mary, they just, just something not right about that. The people that gossiped would whisper whenever they walked by. This was a society in which shame and honor was a very big deal. Not like the celebritized culture of America today. Joseph paid a price for believing what the angel said. Mary paid a price for trusting what God said. And yet, Jesus Christ came and was born. He didn't come as an angel. He didn't just make an appearance out of heaven. He came and was born as a human being. He entered into the terribly fallen and sin-stifled atmosphere of earth. 
He was subject when he was born in that manger, when he was born and laid in that manger, he was entering into a system that was thick with corruption and with the sin and with the fallenness of all of us, of all humanity. Their rebellion and their hatred against God and the consequences and the havoc that that had wreaked on the good world that God had created. He came into a world that was groaning under the effects of the curse. A world in which suffering is the part of every human being. A world in which injustices take place. A world in which there's pain. A world in which there's sorrow. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came... He was born and yet he lived a perfect life under the same circumstances that we, each and every one of us, live a horribly failed life. He was subject to the same atmosphere of sin that you are subject to. He was subject to the same temptations that you are subject to. The same human frailty. The same aches and pains of sleeping. Jesus was not immune to the sore joints that anyone would get from sleeping on a bed of stone. Jesus was not immune to the weariness that praying all night can bring. Jesus was not immune to the emotional hurt, that betrayal, that backstabbing, that whispering, that slandering brings into our lives. No, he lived in the midst of the same fallen system that you live in. The system that has fallen as the result of the sin of mankind and our continuing choice of rebellion. He lived in the midst of that without choosing rebellion. He lived in the midst of that. And he showed us how that by his power How it was possible in the midst of this fallen system to live a life of purity. To live a life in conformity to God's standard. And then he died and glory, hallelujah, he was resurrected. Bringing us the power to live a life like his. No longer... Is there a barrier that is impenetrable between man and God? For when Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose out of that tomb, He opened a pathway. That cross was a bridge between a fallen humanity and the God of all creation. And those that had looked forward to that from the Garden of Eden, dimly foreshadowing Oh, like the, the first break of dawn. They could see so little. And you move on to the time of Abraham, and he could see a little more on Mount Moriah. He could see a picture of what was to come dimly. Moses, you see it a little more clearly. And you see as the prophets continue to prophesy, you see a glow, growing picture that only came into focus when Jesus Christ was born in that manger. And even though those around him couldn't perceive it clearly, it was the centerpiece. 
Not just of the Old Testament, not just of the Word of God, but of all of world history. See, we tend to look at things through the perspective of what matters to us. If we want to live things in the right perspective, we want to live things... I think all of us would agree that we want to live life according to God's perspective. Well, God's perspective has not some hidden thing that we cannot become acquainted with. No, God's perspective is revealed to us on every page of the Word of God that has been preserved for us to this day. It has been translated into our language so that we can read and understand what God's perspective is. Yet when you look at the Old Testament, it seems a little strange. When you look at the Old Testament, if you were to read ancient history perhaps, you'd see that there's a lot of things that historians think of as very, very significant that is totally excluded from the pages of the Old Testament. You see relatively obscure people groups that get large mention. And we could find many instances of this. Why is that? Well, it's because God is not concerned with the achievements of humanity. No, God was concerned with preparing the way for His achievement with humanity. And that achievement was the coming of Jesus Christ. If we want to look at things from God's perspective, we need to place at the center of our view of history the coming of Jesus Christ. But, this, but Jesus Christ as the center did not stop with the conclusion of the Old Testament. No, just as everything in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing, was a picture, was a signpost towards the coming of Christ. So everything in the New Testament is an unpacking of the results of that coming. is a signpost that points back towards the significance of that coming. That explains more of what that really should mean in your life and in my life. Because we're no longer separated from God. If we're truly believers. We no longer... There's no longer a barrier that is impenetrable between man and God. When we think of the significance of Christmas, it's not enough to fight for the, 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 the ability to publicly display a nativity set. That's not a bad thing. But that really is irrelevant to the true significance of Christmas. I like to say Merry Christmas. But you're not doing God a favor if you say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. There is so much more at stake here than the way we celebrate our holiday. As often as the world forgets that Christ should be the center of the Christmas celebration, I think it's almost as common, I know in my life it has been, that Christians tend to forget to make Christmas the center of their Christianity. Think about everything that's important to you right now. Everything that takes up a part of your heart, that takes up a part of your mind, that takes up a part of your passion. Think of what's important to you. It's something different for every one of us. How much of it points to the centerpiece? How much of it is even related? When I think of that question in my own life, is a very, very convicting question. The significance is not of Christmas is not found in how you celebrate the holiday necessarily, but in the centering of your life according 
to God's perspective of what is really significant. If everything in God's revelation to mankind points to the coming of Christ and everything in God's revelation after that points back towards it, don't you think that if God is working in your life, that it will point back towards Christ too? If everything that God did for thousands of years pointed towards Christ, do you think that when the canon was completed and the book of Revelation with the last line was penned, that God stopped working in such a way as to point towards Christ? No, He did that. He gave us the New Testament. He gave us the Old Testament. He gave us Himself so that we might point back towards Him. And if our lives are not pointing back towards Christ, then we're missing the significance of the greatest event in all of world history. Salvation in Christianity is not about us getting fire insurance. It's not about us praying a prayer and saying, I identify myself as a Christian on a political survey. It's about living our lives in such a way that they could be signposts that if someone were to look at your life and they were searching for direction in life, they would find themselves at a manger. They would find themselves at a cross. Because your life is centered around what God is centered around. In relation to humanity, that is. God's story of humanity... God's revelation to mankind is centered around the coming of Christ. How about your life? How is what you portray to the world? What is that pointing to? And I think of that for myself. It's a very sobering question. If someone were to look at my life and were to look at what was emphasized in my life and were to look at what I focused on, would they see that it was all centered around the coming of Christ? Or would it be centered around my priorities and what's important to me and and I'm going to do this and I'm going to get that and I'm going to fix the political system and I'm going to fix my finances or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It's so easy to get off center because we still live in a fallen world. The barrier was broken between heaven and earth but the sin was not removed. Yet, And as we live in this world, we need to keep our eyes on the risen Christ. Because by His power, we can live life as He would have us to while we're waiting on Him to come back to this earth and to clean up the whole shop. Because just as the Old Testament was pointing towards His first coming and the New Testament was explaining the significance of that, so we too, just as the the Old Testament lived in hope of His first coming, so we live in hope of His second coming where this broken system is going to be cleared out. But you see, God has made it possible when He came down and lived a perfect life in the midst of this broken system. That's what He wants you to do. He wants your life to be a signpost of what, that, that, show, that, that goes back to and points back to the fact that God made it possible to live life as if he'd already cleaned the shop out. And as if he'd already come again. God, Jesus lived a life the way Jesus lived as though the world was not a sinful place. 
And he suffered the consequences of that. Jesus lived a perfect life. And though we will never live a perfect life, it's not because God hasn't given us the ability to fight against sin. God has given us the ability to live lives that show to others what life is like in God's kingdom. What life will be like when God rules himself. When there no longer is a curse. And that is possible because of Christ's coming at Christmas. And my question is, if the centerpiece of God's plan for world's history was and is the coming of Christ, is the coming of Christ that he came and that he's coming again, is that the centerpiece of your life? Because if it's not, then you're not truly on God's agenda. And if you want to live a life that is truly significant from God's perspective, you need to live a life that is centered around what God finds most significant. Father, Lord, I come before you. I just pray, Father, Lord, that what I have said would be clear, even though, Father, Lord, I know that I am not always clear, Father. I just pray for your word to to work, Father. I pray for your name to be honored. Help me, Father, to love you. Help all of us to love you. In Christ's name.